Chapter 28. The Most Awkward Surprise. I mentioned previously that Betty Jean never called, and I was never able to contact her, though I tried repeatedly without success. Just as well. When 9-11 occurred, I became so numb and overwhelmed from what I had witnessed at the World Trade Center, I found it easy to shrug and move on from the thoughts of courtship. Life didn't make sense. My numbness towards Betty Jean was one more piece of evidence attesting to my continuing detachment from the normal feelings I'd known. She was out of sight and, for the most part, out of mind, as a whole list of things were that had previously featured prominently in my thoughts. That is, until, once again, she resurfaced. I was in my favorite store in New York, the M&M store at Times Square. I like to go there occasionally to browse the new merchandise reflective of my favorite candy and also to stock up for my sweet tooth, doing so with a personalized flair. I was standing off to the side near the escalator on the bottom floor one Saturday afternoon. I just happened to look up and a little tyke, three or four years old, came bursting through the front door, squealing, adorned in a crimson tied sweatshirt, of all things. Just behind him was a man that I assumed was his daddy. He was a big, handsome guy. He picked up little man and pointed across the store, and I heard him say, Who's that? Little man screamed and laughed, and without saying a word, ran as fast as he could through the M&M treasures, right into the arms of a beautiful blonde, no more than 15 feet from me. Betty Jean Asher. Unmistakably, her. She scooped him up, stroked his hair, grabbed his cheeks in a playful sort of way, and grinned from ear to ear. She cuddled him and cooed over him, obviously knew him quite well. Of course, I was shocked. Without a word nor an approach to her, I stopped whatever browsing I was doing and turned to hurry out the door that big handsome guy had just walked through. My mind was churning. And immediately, conclusive. That's why Betty Jean had never called me. She was married to Big Handsome Guy, and this bundle of locomotive energy squealing around the M&M gift bins was their son. Good for them, but I couldn't face their reality. I'd been through enough reality to know that I didn't want any more. I took about three hurried steps, darting towards the exit, and I heard her voice. Joe Billy? Those were the same words she had uttered in the same way in our chance encounter at Five Napkin Burger on a night that now seemed like another lifetime ago. I cringed. I knew I was trapped, and there was no way to sidestep this embarrassing situation. I would have to face her. It was a similar feeling to what I'd experienced during our class reunion when Mary Jo Hamilton had thrown herself at me. I couldn't wiggle out of interacting with Mary Jo, but I could cut it short and disappear. I'd also used the clear signal approach of not interested, and that had worked decisively well. But with Betty Jean, it was different. It's not that I didn't want to talk to her. I was actually relieved that the long hunt was over. I had found her. Reflecting again on our communication silence, I had sat by the phone for so long waiting for her to call, I'd given up ever seeing her again. I had imagined that in my efforts to contact her, I must have had the wrong number, or 
She'd changed phones without telling me, and maybe I wasn't in her new address book. I remember that for a long time after that night at Miss Truby's, I almost jumped every time the phone rang. Maybe it was her. I could not bring myself to conclude that she was just ignoring me. I remember that for a long time after that night at Miss Truby's, I almost jumped every time the phone rang. Maybe it was her. I could not bring myself to conclude that she was just ignoring me. She'd shown what I had felt was genuine interest in at least getting together again. Her silence did not make sense. But for all my mental backtracking as to why we had not connected or if I'd done something wrong which I had not been aware of, the reason was now clear, and he was standing just behind me. All vain excuses were shoved to the side and categorized as a bad, drawn-out memory. I'd prided myself on having been able to work through the fatal tragedy of losing my fiancé-to-be, Susan B. Anthony. But it didn't take much soul-searching to discover the obvious. I had never gotten over Betty Jean. I was now in her presence, and I had to respond. Unless I just blew by her and headed for the door, I would have to be polite, take it like a man, and be introduced to the one who had won her heart. I'd meet the man who had done what I'd not been able to do. Mr. Wright, Mr. Lucky, or whoever he was, had something I didn't. I would have to confess that it was game over. I would have to confess that it was game over. I had no choice but to stop and turn and face the one who called out my name. My surreptitious great escape was foiled, and we were now in each other's presence, locking eyes in what for me was an extremely awkward moment. I would be remiss if I didn't add that her eyes were just as beautiful as I remembered them. However, my feeling of awkwardness was immeasurable. I'd have been very happy for the earth to swallow me whole and then close on top of me, thus alleviating the need to inform me why she had never followed through on her promise to call me. I now had the reason, and what was left to discuss? Besides, I'd crawled out of the hole in my life that was opened by 9-11. I would resist any possibility of going back inside that dark place, even temporarily. As we stood in each other's presence, my face flushed hot. Hers seemed to glow red just for a second, and hers seemed to glow red just for a second, but I wasn't sure if that was her skin or if my eyes were going into overdrive and playing tricks on me. I do recall that I was experiencing what we referred to as kids as cotton mouth, and I was aware that it would be hard to successfully form words that were clear and distinct. I was aware that my breathing was shallow. I was embarrassed, speechless, and insecure. Not exactly the masculine persona I wished to portray in the presence of the nicest and most beautiful female I had ever known. I would have to immediately invent a false front and appear cool, relaxed, and delighted. My mental fumbling about what to say and how to start a meaningful dialogue suddenly didn't matter. She spoke first. Joe Billy, it's really you! I didn't know if I'd ever see you again. Let me introduce you to my brother Calvin and his son, Nick. 